Hello, and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour, SB Nation's NFL podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Van Biver. With me, as always, are men, myth, legends, uh, Stephen White and Danny Kelly. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Awesome. Excellent. Um, you know what, guys? It's, uh, it's, we've got real football on the horizon, finally. <laughs> finally. Yes. I mean, it's like a month of football practice and then those things that they call preseason games. But, uh, I like preseason games. Oh, Danny. <laughs> well, that's how <laughs> desperate we are. Really? You know, we didn't have the usual. I mean, there we had some, but we didn't have the usual massive legal entanglement that carry us through this off season, which I guess is kind of a blessing in disguise. I'm not going to complain about that. Yeah. It has been, it's been a dead time. It's, it feels like it's been the deadest time I can remember in the NFL recently. So I'm just like, I guess other than the lockout, but, but I'm just ready for any kind of football period. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, always a relief when it starts up again. <laughs> yep. Um, we did have, uh, speaking of that legal entanglement, you had Goodell say there's no timetable for um, the Brady decision. So that means if we don't get it you know, within the next hour while we're recording this thing, I suspect we'll get it Friday. That would make sense. Um, we were supposed to, there was a talk, um, I think it was going to happen last Friday, but I think they were, what I heard was that they were still negotiating. So we'll see what that entails. I mean, I don't know what they can negotiate other than wiping out his suspension that would prevent any kind of lawsuit. I mean, is there any option? Do they, is there another way here forward? Well, I mean, I think you both sides are probably obviously taking a strong stance in the negotiations. And obviously, I think Brady's side is threatening you know, litigation if he doesn't get it all knocked out. But perhaps they'll accept a compromise at the last minute and you know, maybe one game or something like that and, and where both sides can feel happy. But, uh, yeah, I don't really know how those how those closed doors negotiations would, would look in this sense because, um, you know, the NFL has to stick strong to what they, you know, to their findings. And obviously Brady doesn't want to miss four games and, and he's pretty indignant about this whole thing. I don't think he even feels that, you know, he's basically taking the stance that, that he didn't do anything wrong. And, making the NFL say, you know, making the NFL prove it, you know, like he doesn't, the Patriots don't think that, you know, their evidence was strong enough. And so it, uh, it could get contentious. So, I mean, it already is contentious, but continue to be. Yeah. I, I don't know who it was, but somebody speculated that maybe they could be gunning for like, you know, where you Brady gets fine, has to give up four paychecks, four game paychecks instead of serve the suspension. But to me, that would still, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not like, obviously, Tom Brady doesn't need the money, per se, but at the same time, it still, it doesn't resolve the heart of the matter is, which is that the appeal and the the, the punishment and then the appeal was not, you know, it just doesn't, it just, it doesn't pass the smell test. <laughs> well, you know, my thing about it is, there's opposite, uh, uh, opposite um, mitigating factors here. Mm-hmm. Like with Kraft, the reason why he would accept the penalty given to him is because the pressure from the fellow owners towards him would be, look, go ahead and take your punishment because, you know, these are the rules that we have. Yeah, This is how it's set up. You know, we don't need this to be in the public eye any longer than it has to be. So go ahead and... and you know, just accept it and then it goes away. And really, their their part has, yeah. basically. Um, we don't even talk about the employees anymore and the fact that they were the one that was actually doing the deflating. We only talk about Tom Brady. Yeah. But for the PA and for Brady from their side, you know, all the pressure for them is going to be pushing to take this to court. Yeah. Because, once again, at every turn, the NFL PA is going to try to find a way to curtail uh, Goodell's power. They couldn't get it done in, in the last CBA because they had no leverage. Now they can at least try and hope that they get a favorable judge, take it in front of a judge, and then, you know, have a judge say, no, this is too much power. Um, 
here's a precedent. You're not going to be able to do this, especially with such weak evidence. And I'm throwing this all out. Yeah. And like I said, they got the perfect guy to do it. They got Tom Brady, the golden child, his one <laughs> Super Bowls. I mean, literally, there, there's no who better in the oh, league yeah, right no, now. Absolutely. Just coming off the Super Bowl win, could you pick to go up against the NFL? Absolutely. And so they finally found the very best plaintiff they could get. And so their motivation is going to be, no, we're not selling for anything less than total exoneration. Otherwise, let's go to court. So really, when you think about it, Unless the NFL is sure they're going to win in court, they might want to go ahead and acquiesce. Yeah. But that's really not their – they don't really do that. Yeah, no, exactly. It's just that the standoff of it all will be interesting to see how they – you know, the resolution here, and which is why I was so surprised when they were talking about that they were still negotiating something on this because mine just like, what the hell is there to negotiate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, you know, it just gets to the part of the matter. It's that, you know, that personal conduct policy the league has is vague and – it's it doesn't make a ton of sense from the outside, much less on the inside. And you know, you get to the bottom line is like, well, you know, it's the basic labor management issue. It's you're fucking with the guy's ability to make money and do his job. <laughs> and there's an arbitrariness to that, you know, when your employer can come and say, "Well, I'm gonna suspend you for four games because I don't believe what you said about deflating footballs," or I don't, you know, that's you know, when it's Tom Brady or. Whether it's Tom Brady or you know a linebacker making the league minimum, that's it's just not you know that's just not no union worth its salt is going to put up with stuff like that because it's just not fair to employees. Yeah, and again, it's it's the principal thing. And yeah, I mean it's like more so than the actual actor in question or whatever. <laughs> well, and it's a good move for the PA because it sets them up because you got to think we're not too far off from the next CBA. I mean, you know, that's 2021, 2020 is when this one ends. Yeah. So if they go to court and fight the Goodell thing on the personal conduct policy stuff, then they're well positioned going into that next round of collective bargaining talks because then they can get a more favorable, at least a more favorable outcome on that front, you know? Right. If they're, as, as much as they can make his life hell. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's good leverage for them down the road. That's right. Well, and I don't want to get too far into that because I suspect we'll have much more to talk about that on this front. And then, you know, obviously that'll save something for the uh, the folks that put on the labor management labor podcast out there. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure there is one. It sounds really exciting. Yeah. yeah right. um, <laughs> other big news, Adrian Peterson restructured his contract, which is sort of the last bit of dirt they could throw onto burying the hatchet there in Minnesota. It was kind of a win-win for both sides. It seems like Peterson got more guaranteed, 20, guaranteed, 20 million guaranteed over the last three years of his deal. Minnesota gets the cap, the cap breathing room from his contract and uh, still has the ability to walk away from, you know, if things don't work out with Peterson after this season. Um, you know, they still have the ability to walk away uh, and, and devote those resources somewhere else in 2016. What did you guys think of that? Your first impressions of the deal, Steven? Um, I mean, I thought it was just a smart thing to do on both sides. They knew he wanted some more money. They've seen him in many camps now. They know that he's still the same old Adrian Peterson. And, you, you know, you think about it. They're going to be a run-centric team. And, yeah. and I like Teddy Bridgewater a lot, but you got a defensive head coach, and, you know, that is his deal. Those guys are always going to want a run-centric team. You got a team that's going to be playing in the NFC North, so you're going to have to be able to run the ball later on in the season. You're going to need Adrian Peterson, you know, for this season and, and seasons to come. You know, hopefully he doesn't hit their, their, their running back wall. They, they say around 30 years old. Um, but if it does, you need the breathing room so that you could possibly uh, draft his replacement, hopefully. But you needed him to be happy the next couple of years. This really doesn't change much. It just, you know, switches some money around. Yeah. Making sure he's actually going to get it. But it, it's a good, good faith gesture, I think, on both people's part. Now he knows he's taken care of. And they know he's going to be around for a couple of years. And if after that time they need to let go of him, they can. Yeah. I was keeping the star, you know, keeping the stars happy. I remember for a while there in the spring, I I was surprised. I didn't know that they'd ever make up. I thought I kind of was one of those people that assumed that they would probably trade him during the draft. 
I don't, you know, how close they actually got to that, I don't know. But, you know, from a Vikings perspective, especially a Vikings fan perspective, it's good to see that, you know, your stars are happy. (laughs) And and from my perspective, I always felt like this. There was no way they were going to get fair compensation in return for uh, Adrian Peterson. Everybody knew that the relationship was torn. So it's like, you know, (laughs) selling low, basically, in, in, in investment terms. So it, that being the case, and you know that he's still a quality uh, running back, then it would behoove you not to give him up and just to keep holding on to him until he came to the realization he didn't have very many options. This, this new CBA has it where players basically will be, end up on the team if they sit out for any amount of time and are under contract. Really, he didn't have very many options. You, you just cannot – you simply cannot hold out anymore if you're already under contract. You, you just – it would be financially ruinous to most guys, yeah. especially if the team was committed to not caving. So um, I just felt like they had the power and they were going to be selling low if they did end up giving them up. So it made sense to try to kind of hold on to them. And now not on, only hold on to them, but, it, you know, make them happy. So he goes out there and gets you that 1,800 yards this, this season. Yeah, definitely. Well, like you said, it's good for their young quarterback. It's good for, I mean, just good for the Vikings. That's a team, I mean, I, I kind of think that that team could surprise people this year. I mean, I think they'll be a little bit better. I don't know if they're probably good enough to challenge the Packers, but it, that's a team that, um, you know, they're to me, they look like a team that's definitely in contention for a wild card spot at the very least. Yeah, they're one of those teams that people are kind of picking as the dark horse in the NFC, you know, as, mm-hmm. as a potential playoff team and, they got a young, good young quarterback and, and some interesting pieces, and, and the defense is getting better. And so, yeah, they're, I mean, they're one of the more interesting teams. Just, and, and, like, to echo, you know, what you guys had said, it's just just made the most sense for them to uh, keep Peterson happy and, um, you know, bury, like you said, bury the hatchet. It, it looked bad for a while. Like, they, I mean, it looked like he just, like, hated the Vikings for, like, a little while there, you know. And so, like, this is a good a reminder, I think, to fans and, and who you know are worried about like the relationships between players and and teams. Is that you know like it's not always the teams aren't always going to take a hard line and like you know try and yeah, I guess dick over their players or whatever. Especially some someone as talented as Adrian Peterson and um, you know they obviously came to a compromise and so. Um, that you know, that's something to keep in mind for teams or you know fans that are going through something like that in the middle of summer where everything looks completely contentious and like terrible between the team and a player. Like you know, this is surprisingly you know calm and it worked out really well for them. Yeah, you know, surface. So it's interesting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, well, and certainly uh, with the money, the NFL it seems to be a. Uh, Seems to be doing quite well, and we saw the Packers' financial reports this year. It looks oh, yeah. like the everybody, all the teams got to split about two hundred and twenty-six, give or take, million dollars. Just and that's mostly from the TV deals. That's the shared revenue pool, which isn't all the NFL revenue or all of a team's revenue. But um, I would say the NFL is as healthy as it's ever been in terms of finances. That's for sure. Jeez. Yeah, isn't it up? Isn't it up like twenty percent from the last, like, a couple years ago? Well, I, the numbers the numbers were. I have it. I have it in front of me. But like, this is kind of interesting because you go back to the collective bargaining agreement of two thousand eleven. Here's what you know when Jerry Richardson said, famously said that player contract, the player costs were going to bankrupt the league and its teams. <laughs> yeah (laughs) nothing like poor mouthing a poor mouthing billionaire (laughs) you know what i mean um but like okay so in 2010 the team split looks like about i want to say it looks like about 95 close to 96 million per team in revenue sharing so that's a that's quite a jump that's huge. That's insane. In five years, and that's, you know, you throw in the fact that, I mean, those the, part of the reason you've got the big jump is the new TV deals. Last year was the first year that those were on the record. And then next year you'll have more because I guess that'll be the first year that the new direct TV deals on the, on the books. Wow. So, it's, uh, 
for all the hand wringing over Roger Goodell that we saw this fall, uh, NFL acquitted <laughs> itself pretty well this year. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all this, you know, that, that's the bottom line. Yep. As Stone Cold says, you can talk about them all you want to, as long as they're making the kind of money they're making. And we all know it's because of that new CBA and a rookie cap. Owners aren't going to mind. You know, they're, they're not going to care. Yeah. They're, they're making more money than they've ever made, and they will continue to do so for the life of this CBA. They'll put up with all the other stuff. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as long, and that's why that's the Goodell's not going to get fired as long as they're making money like that. You know what I mean? So it's uh, it's insane how it's insane how popular football really is. Like, I mean, we've talked about this before, but it's like. Some random, like for instance, like I bet you preseason games will be like way, like way higher ratings than any of the NHL like playoff games, any of the uh, you <laughs> oh, know yeah. like some of these major baseball games. I mean, it's just insane how how popular football really is. Like, I mean, I yeah, it's just hard to imagine how like just ex- exponentially more popular. Well, I always come back to the Pro Bowl. I mean, the Pro Bowl is the classic yeah, example Pro- of how. I mean, I don't think in – I've probably watched a full Pro Bowl any time in the last five years. But, you know, I'm in the minority of America – or not minority, but I'm in, you know, uh, 20-some million Americans do watch the Pro Bowl every year. Yeah. And, and it's, it's and it's still great. low enough that the NFL has considered killing it off altogether over the last few years. Yeah. Well, they they just you know they they're not really making any money off of it. Right. They, they can't figure out how to monetize it. But it you know it's still very entertaining. See the whole thing about the NFL now, even like the preseason games or the Pro Bowl is, you know that any given second you might see something incredible. Yeah. Uh, you know, just think of all those people who saw, uh, um, what's the kid for the Giants? That that incredible catch, um. David Tyree. Oh, Odell Beckham or David Tyree. Yeah. Yes, last year. And I think of all the, the, the people who actually didn't watch that game because it, it was not really a great game. Neither one of those teams really going to do anything. But, you know, if you if you don't tune in, you might miss something like that. And so yeah. I think that's the allure of football, especially because, you know, we live in a world where everything is on DVR now. This is the one thing that yep. isn't. Sports still... You have to be there. You know, you, you can you can set the DVR if you want to. It ain't the same. It never no, is. No, it's not. You turn off all your electronic devices. Nobody's really watching it with you on Twitter or Facebook or whatever social media you normally use. You know, you got to sit in your room and just watch it yourself and hope nobody spoils it for you. That, that's no fun. You know, everybody yeah. wants to be watching it together now, too. And, and so that's how they get you. You, know, you, you can't just save up and, 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 and binge watch. The NFL, you have to, you know, wait for it to come. And that's the anticipation and all that builds up so much. It makes you it plays tricks on you, makes you even want it more. Yeah. So well, just, I, I don't see it changing anytime soon either. And look at the playoffs this last season. I mean, you know, like those weekends where you had like the division, division weekend. I mean, you had I don't know, I guess if any game was kind of a stinker, it probably turned out to be that Colts Broncos game or maybe the Oh, yeah, the Cardinals-Panthers would have been the week before with the wild card games. But, you know, the other three games, I mean, my God, you had the Cow- – obviously the Dez catch became the big story in that game. But all three of those games had some kind of big – ah, the Seattle-Panthers game was okay. But, you know, the Ravens-Patriots and the Packers-Cowboys games, I mean, shit. That was just – it was breakneck speed, the stuff that was happening in that. I think the cool – and the cool thing about football these days is, I mean, this isn't, like, really new, but, like – the interactivity on Twitter and watching the game is so intense these days. Like I remember like just a few years ago sitting and you're, you're basically watching the game with whoever you're hanging out with. And now it's like you have acts. You're like, it's basically like watching TV with like, you know, how many of our friends you have on Twitter, a hundred friends and, and um, you know, everyone's freaking out and, and reacting and, I mean, I'm just like glued to Twitter during games. It's crazy how interactive it is, really. It's, um, you know, and obviously I think Facebook is huge during games too for some people. So it's just, uh, it's it's a weird new 
like style of fandom and it's really fun like to me it's like i can watch a game by myself and it's not even like lonely <laughs> you know what i mean it's yeah. like i or watch a game by myself and it's like doesn't make a difference because i've got you know however many people on twitter that you can just interact with and experience the game with and it's it's just really fun and cool how much you, got, you said i mean you kind of mentioned how much you're on twitter how much are you on twitter during games steven a lot Okay. Especially during Bucks game because because Bucks fans are just used to you know, <laughs> running commentary on the team the last few years, of course. And it's kind of like that, you know, Saturdays too with college football and, and my volunteers. But um, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm also trying to look and see on uh, uh, Red Zone and stuff to see what's going on in other games, see what I might be mm-hmm. writing about eventually. But mm-hmm. it, it's just like it so much enhances the experience when you know you never know who you end up interacting with during a game if you make some kind of comment about the game yeah maybe they'll agree with you maybe they'll disagree maybe you have to block them but but it's always (laughs) an experience every sunday yeah the other thing is like that you know sb nation is a big part of this too i think but all all websites now have these like you know the look at things like memes Mm -hmm. and it's like i can't watch a game now without like Everything that you see turns into like a meme, you know. Like you have like these people in the these fans in the stands, everyone reacts to like you like literally. It's like every second, like someone's reacting to something on the TV, and so it's like really interactive. You know, it's like look, did, and then like you know, someone's like, "Give me that reaction, yeah. give me that dance." You know, it's like everyone's talking about like what's going on, it's, and it's all live, and it's just so fun like it's way more fun than any other sport i mean i was i'm way biased but to me it's like way more fun than any other sport well it's interesting i was talking about this earlier today with somebody about tweeting and you know how like i experience games because it's obviously i mean you know it's i mean this isn't a complaint but it's a work day you know it's it's, right it's sort of different and you kind of have to you know i can't just watch dial in and watch on a normal Sunday in the regular season, you can't just dial and watch like a Rams game or something because, well, first right, of all, watching right. a Rams game is pretty awful anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't tweet during those because I've pissed too many people off. <laughs> so, but no, it is kind of funny because it's just like, you, you never know. I mean, I you get up in the morning on Sundays and, and I realize, again, I say I, this is a little bit of, of a different experience for us because this is kind of our jobs, but... Yeah. It's like you get up on Sundays and then there's just that, you know, rash of stuff. Like Sundays in the regular season, Schefter and Glazer and all those guys are always breaking news on Sunday mornings. Oh, it was especially every morning. true last year yeah, with the Ray morning. Rice and Adrian Peterson stuff. But and now but yeah, but those that time's busy. And then the games start and the games start I'm on central time. So the games start at noon and I look up and it's like seven o'clock. I don't quite I did I don't realize like there's this whole time thing it's it's like yeah. being asleep or unconscious and all of a sudden like oh yeah well it's seven o'clock i've got 30 minutes before the sunday night game so yeah go eat some wings or something. Yeah. shove some food in your <laughs> <Yep>. mouth <laughs> that's like that's my day too i mean I'm, hydrate I'm, I'm on the west coast so games start at 10 in the morning so i'm always getting up about you know as early as i can because i know like you said glazer Schefter, those guys are going to break some random story you know, and you're going to have to cover it. Then you have to do, you know, if you have an early game, you have to do inactives and all that stuff. And then obviously during the game, I'm doing Facebook, I'm doing Twitter, you know, I'm updating Facebook for field goals. And then obviously trying to figure out what to write for SB Nation. And, um, you know, then as the day goes on, it's like constantly keeping up with both, trying to trying to figure out what to write about the Seahawks game. And then, you know, as uh, Monday night football winds down, or Sunday night football winds down. I'm trying to figure out what to write about for tomorrow for the for the morning, you know, update. And so it's just it's such a grueling day, but at the same time, it's like like you said, it's so fun that you don't even really notice all of a sudden the day's gone. It's like <laughs> it's just so funny. Look up and it's like, oh, when does it get dark? <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's and the worst part is I can never sleep because I was like, well, then during Sunday night football, I'll either. Because, like, that's the first chance I get throughout the day to just kind of sit and kind of pay attention to a game. But we're also, right. you know, we're yeah. trying to get stuff ready to go for Monday morning and stuff like that. And so then, like, it's 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, and I'm trying to go to sleep, and your brain's still like, man, that was... Rrr. Or <laughs> oh, either man, that bro. or you're thinking about work or the games or all that stuff. So it's like, I usually... 
on Sunday nights, I usually end up sleeping on the couch until about three in the morning and then crawl into bed for a couple hours and then start yeah. the day over. But all oh, this is making me excited. We should move on before like, <laughs> I get frustrated because it's not, it's, I will realize in about 10 minutes that the season isn't starting this Sunday and get pissed <laughs> off again. So. Um, it, a subject on last week's show that uh, caused uh, we quite an uproar here um, seems to have been resolved. Marcus Mariota and the Titans reached a deal, and it sounds like they um, they compromised somewhere in the middle on the offset language. What do so, you know? I guess that's good. <laughs> but, well, I mean, nobody was surprised same. to see it done, but... Yeah, uh, yeah. I just uh, you know, I, um, we all have to wait and see what these quote unquote partial offsets are. But it just, I'm still amazed that that's the line in the sand they chose to draw. Yeah. And, and, and with you know who's who's supposedly going to be your franchise quarterback, that you think he's not going to remember that on the back end of this oh, fucking yeah. contract? Really? You know, oh, yeah. I I just I don't get it. And come to find out, I, I hadn't realized this. The last three years, which is basically since the rookie, uh, since the new CBA with the with the uh, rookie cap, these dumbasses still are the last person to sign up number one their their, their uh, first round draft pick every single year. Talk about some absurd <laughs> consistency. There. You can always tell where the bean counters have a more influence in the front office than the football people. You know what I mean. <laughs> seems like it anyway because i was just and it's so stupid it's like the offset you know it'll not even ever be an issue with the quarterback picked second overall in the draft because if you cut the guy you're screwed and if you don't cut the guy i mean you know it's just it's you're it's the fourth year of his deal and you've got him at you know a a rate that's pretty bargain basement anyway compared to what you're gonna usually pay for a quarterback it's right it's not like franchise killing yeah it just looks cheap it just looks cheap and stupid yeah because we all know the precedent argument is bullshit people people teams always break precedent when they need to always of course don't tell me about precedent as the reason why when's the last time you actually drafted a quarterback in the top three picks then you don't have a precedent if you haven't done it you know especially it's just the rookie cap. I mean, that, that to me was just so stupid for that to be your justification. If you had some kind of very detailed reasoning behind it, maybe I would understand. But if your whole argument is we're not going to do this because we've never done this and you're the Tennessee Titans, that just kind of pisses me off. <laughs> Especially if you're the Tennessee Titans, man. I mean, exactly. You know, and shit, even if it's the Bucks and the Bucks don't want the Super Bowl, I pretty much be the same way. Oh yeah, oh yeah. If I, you haven't done shit, I mean, come on now. It's just I don't know. It's a, it's a golden age for owners, that's for sure. Because did you guys see that thing yesterday about the stuff in Cleveland? No, I, I didn't. I didn't see that. What happened? Well, it was just that they fired their personnel, their player personnel director, and a player personnel director is sort of the guy that you know helps helps players take care of their personal lives and stuff like that. You know, it's not just, I mean, keeping players out of trouble per se, like everybody kind of tends to think of it that way, but it's more the guys that, you know, that can help you get a financial advisor. What? He's like a a concierge, really. Yeah, exactly. uh, That's who our guy was. You know, he pretty much did a little bit of everything for you. Yeah. So um, he did a lot more than just, you know, kind of trying to keep guys from getting DUIs and stuff like that. Yeah. So they fired that guy. Well, they fired that guy, yeah. and apparently he was kind of in the mix. Like you know, there was the 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 ESPN Cleveland guy was, you know, got the info that this was he was Ray Farmer, the general manager's kind of right hand man, and his like like he wasn't just doing the concierge stuff. He was he was the one helping to relay the text messages to the coaches on the sidelines about oh, what plays to call and who to play and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, it painted yeah. this picture of, you know, Ray Farmer, the general manager, and Mike Pettin, the head coach, sort of at odds and, and partially consumed at least by a power struggle in the front office. And, 
you know, that always turns out so well for teams on the field. <laughs> so, so well. Yeah. Great. And that's, I mean, and that comes back to the ownership, too. It's like, you got to get a hold of this shit. You can't, you know, let... What it doesn't I mean, it doesn't matter if you're an NFL team or you run, you know, a bodega or something. You just can't let your people sit around and piss and moan at each other until they're not doing their job. Neither one of them's doing their job. You know what I mean? It's just... I don't know. It's a, it, it always, you know, I think that's one of the things maybe people don't realize enough is that like harmony at the top is so important for an NFL team, and and it's actually not as like common as you'd think. <laughs> you know, it's like you have you have guys like GMs, owners, um, you know, head coaches, and like top personnel people, and all these guys, you know, probably type A type personalities, egos. And a lot of the times they don't get along, and that's like a huge deal. And that, like, if you look at some of the dynasties of the, you know, the recent dynasties of this, of the of this league, almost all of them have like super good relationships at the top. Like, it starts from the top down. And I mean, we saw what happened in Philly with Chip Kelly, like doing the hostile takeover, <laughs> you know, essentially, and and you know, basically taking control from the from the gym that he inherited or whatever. And so, man, it's just, it's really interesting because that's kind of the behind the scenes stuff that you don't really see. And, um, I mean, obviously Cleveland has had their issues over the years. And so that's not super surprising that they're going through that, but, but yeah, that's so important and, and not really as much. It's not as talked about as much as like, you know, some of the more apparent things with like coaches and players, but it's, it's huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. And in any business, I mean, like, like I say, it's not just a, a running a football team. I mean, it comes down to anything, and I think that's where you gotta. Again, I mean, you go back to me. It all goes back to Jimmy Haslam, who's obviously done a fantastic job with the Browns since he bought him in 2012. And I, I would not be in the least bit surprised to see another house cleaning in Cleveland at the end of this season. Yeah. Which is sort of like. You know, well, you by the time you clean house again, my God, when are you ever going to have time to get your shit together and try to win you, some games? Like every time you do that, you restart the clock for a couple seasons. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's like look at what happened in in San Francisco. It's like they had such a good thing going on the surface, but then obviously, you know, Jed York and Harbaugh like hated each other or whatever, and um, you know, they essentially had they essentially said like it's just not worth the success to, to even have to deal with this. And so like now they're, they completely change things up and, you know, it remains to be seen if that helps at all or if it, if it works, but like that kind of stuff is just so incredibly important. Now, for, like, wait, now Danny, I, now, Steven, this is going to ask you if you, you noticed this too. I, I detected a, a little bit of glee in Danny's voice. When he was talking <laughs> about that with the 49ers. <laughs> yeah, <it's> a, you <laughs> know, <laughs> Some schadenfreude there. I'm sure. I'm sure that he feels very bad, very badly about here, how everything's going in San Francisco. I'm sure that he's all broken up. But yeah, I did feel stuck in a little bit too. Hey, he has the right to be because you know what? You better get it in now because, as we said, it, it basically happens to everybody. Yeah. You, you look around, and the rarity is the long-term relationship between a head coach and the GM. Usually. Uh, one one or both of them gets blown out of there because they can't get along, and, yeah. and there's a lot of reasons for that. I would say that for either guy, they both have to have a humongous ego to either coach football or be the GM of a franchise. It's yeah. just kind of part of the job, and it's hard to fit two big egos like that in the same building a lot of the time. Yeah, and I think too that he comes back to the owner. You know, you've got to have somebody at the top that can kind of manage all that stuff too, because of those right, you know, to work top, those guys yeah. together. And that's yeah. always interesting because you have that different sort of ownership approach, whether it's the meddlesome owner or whether it's that you know, like the the Jerry Jones dictator model, the football dictator model, which you know, it seems to work out better with Jerry Jones having less control over the football team <laughs> for the Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah for it, it success is fleeting you know in, in the nfl and so i mean you guys joke about me <laughs> not being able to hide the glee but like, honestly it's like i'm also a little bit disappointed because ha that rivalry was like so intense oh yeah, yeah. 
and and so like probably the best in the NFL for a couple of years in terms of just like how much hatred there was between the two sides and that and last year was a little different because the 49ers kind of had their issues and um but man yeah so it, on one hand it's like kind of fun to you know see your rival go through some tough times but at the same time it's like disappointing because that was a really fun rivalry it's like you always circle on the calendar the 49er games and you know, and you know they're going to play you in the in the playoffs. So, so it was like, man. And I'm disappointed on a lot of levels that Jim Harbaugh is not coaching in the NFL anymore. Yeah, yeah, just serious. I mean, that guy—he's he, just—you <laughs> always knew some crazy stuff was going to come up. With oh him. man, what's your I, deal? That, that kind of stuff. It, so, <laughs> somehow, some way, he's always going to be a story. <laughs> he's nuts, but he was—you know—he made it fun. He's one of those personalities that makes you that makes it so damn fun to watch it all. Yep. Um. All right. Quickly, I want to touch on this because this is kind of an interesting thing I, that that popped up yesterday. And Tom Pelisario um, from USA Today wrote a pretty good story about it, and I would definitely encourage everyone to go to go check that out. But um, it kind of stems from Seattle left tackle Russell uh, Okung um, making the decision, and he wrote about it on the Players Tribune the other day um, about that he would negotiate his next contract himself without an agent, without his agent at least. And uh, I don't know. That seems like a that seems like a dicey thing for players. Doesn't yeah, it kind it? Of, well, it go ahead, Steven. No, no, go ahead because this actually should be right up your alley since the Seattle anyway. Yeah, so I mean, it, I think it just really depends on what type of person you are. Like Okung, he he's very much like businessman. You know, uh-huh. like that's that's his identity. He wants to be a businessman after. From everything that I've heard, you know, I actually knew about this uh, for several months that he was going to do this. And so um, he, you know, after the NFL, he wants to be, you know, going to business. It's kind of like the whole, you know, Russell Wilson thing. Like, you know, it's, it's, he's yeah. very, very much a businessman. And, and, you know, so from that sense, I th- he, like he went back and went and got, you know, he did more school. And I think he feels confident in himself in terms of being able to negotiate. He's not going to, you know... Some people just aren't good negotiators, and I think that would be the main like concern. Like, I would be a terrible negotiator, <laughs> so that's like why I would rather pay an agent to do it. But um, you know, but some people are really strong in that area, and I think if he feels that he is, then you know, why give up? You know, three percent or two and a half percent or whatever it is you're giving up to to do that. But I mean, I think he he's really encouraging players to sort of take control of their careers, and I think in some cases it makes sense, but. You know, in other cases, you know, there's a reason that you pay the experts to do that. And so, um, you know, if you're if you're like a, a a rookie coming into the league and you're not going to be a first round pick, I think you know, like the agent pays for your training, helps you, you know, get through all the pre draft stuff. And and you know, if you're going to be an undrafted guy, then tries to get you with the right the right team. And so, there's definitely value in that. And so, it just depends on your acumen in terms of like. Yeah. If you think that you can do all this stuff that an agent does for you, then then I mean, obviously, it makes sense to just you know cut out the middleman. But I don't think it's for every player, probably. Definitely not something for everybody because look, it, it, not everybody's going to be suited to negotiating their own contract. They're just not, especially somebody who hasn't had any kind of experience doing so. That that has nothing to do with whether or not guys are smart enough to do it. I, I don't know if Russell Okung is. I know. We have some super smart players in the league. There's some guy, uh, offensive line playing for the Ravens, that evidently, it, you know, he, he's uh, Neil Tyson type uh, uh, smart. But it, it's a different animal. It's no different than, look, I couldn't just go out there and, and start driving a tractor and farming, even though I've seen it on TV all the time. Yeah. That, that's the same thing for negotiating your contract. And look, I, I, I'm, I'm of this opinion. On things like this, you pay somebody else to do it, not only because that's their job, but also because if things go wrong, there needs to be somebody that you can sue. Yeah. You can't sue yourself. And if this is your first negotiation ever and it's your contract, there's a high likelihood that you're going to get screwed because you're, you're going against the NFL team that's been negotiating contracts forever. Yeah. So, uh, look, it, it sounds good, and, and I get why guys are trying to do it, if you can save that 3% and, and not really lose anything, then so be it. I just think 
somewhere along the way, most guys who try to pull this off are going to lose money. Well, and I guess that's why then the NFLPA is probably has to be involved in it is be so to, to maybe prevent some of that, to maybe prevent players from, you know, who don't aren't expert contract negotiators from, from, you know, getting a raw deal or, you know, not getting the best deal they can or just not getting a fair deal or not getting the things in a contract that they need to get. I mean, there's more than people, you know, it's easy from the outside to think that, well, all an agent does is negotiate a contract and get you money, but there's more to it than that. I mean, you even mentioned that Danny with regards to the rookie. I mean, the agent's the guy that gets you set up in the training program and the readiness program. And, you know, he gets you into the quarterback school. If you're a quarterback, so you can work on your NFL passing and reads and things like that before you go in the draft. I mean, there's more it, to what an agent does than just it, yeah. the money that goes in. They, they pay that up front too. And that's huge because like, you know, we've seen like if you run a four or six and you're trying to play corner or something like you're screwed, you know? Yeah. And so that, that kind of that training, a lot of it is just like learning how to do well in those tests because you have to, you know, teams will look at you and say, Oh, they, he's got all the he's got all the things, all the measurables. He played well. Oh, but he ran a four five four six. Okay, so he might he's he's probably not going to work for us. And then he'll you'll fall like a couple rounds. Theoretically, yeah. this is all just in theory. And that that you lose like several million dollars doing that. Well, right. And then too, if you're a veteran, you know, Okung's position or somebody else, it's you know, there's yeah, you're negotiating a salary and bonus and guaranteed money and length of the deal, but there's. I mean, there's a lot more to a contract than that. I mean, there are the protections yeah. from injury. There are the protections from, it's just, you know, there's a reason those things are are more than just, you know, a 500-word blog post that we're used to seeing about a player contract. Right. And so he said, he said he's going to hire a contracts, you know, expert or whatever to review it and just pay him a flat rate. Um, but otherwise, he's going to negotiate and take it. You know, he, I think his deal is he doesn't see the point in giving an uh, agent three percent where he can just pay a contract person to review it essentially. So, I mean, my, yeah. my question would be: Do they just know contracts, or do they know NFL contracts? Do they understand the salary cap? Do they understand, uh, you know, the different players at the position? What's the going rate? That yeah. would be my question. Yeah. Like you. you know, this to a contracts guy, and they say, "Look, this contract looks fine to me." And technically, they'll be right, but there'll be stuff in there in there either that's not supposed to be there or that's missing that you're not going to know if you never negotiated an NFL contract. I just think that it's fraught with possibilities on the downside of this, and there's really no way for the NFLPA to, to protect the guy from himself if he wants to do this. It's kind of like. You yeah. know what they say? If you represent yourself in court, you have a fool for a client. Yeah. Listen, people go to school to do this kind of stuff for a reason. Ain't yeah. very many just gonna walk off, you know, the turnip truck and walk in there and negotiate a big time contract. I thought we learned that from when Master P uh, <laughs> was Ricky Williams' con- uh, 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 <laughs> advisor or whatever agent. Look, man, you paid these people to do this. For a reason, and if Russell Okung was on the end of his career and he was only signing one-year deals, I don't really think it takes a lot to do that because you know you're just a guy that's kind of bouncing around trying to get those last few years uh, of your career in. But if you are still in line for a big payday, and I would say he is, man, there's just I would be too afraid myself of shortchanging myself because you just don't know, and you won't know that you've been shortchanged. Until you actually sign a contract and it's announced and everybody's laughing at you. Yeah. The other thing is agents, you know, this is, I, I agree with Steven on this. Like, that's just my personality. I would much rather have the expert do this than have myself do it. You know, just because, like, you just can't know, that you can't replace, you know, a lot of these agents have, like, 20 years experience in the league. You know, you just can't replace that, really. And they have relationships with GMs. They have relationships with, you know, coaching staff, coaches, and, and people around the league, you know, cap people around the league. And, you know, those relationships factor into the negotiations as well because, you know, you, these guys are going to have to do business down the line too. And so it, it, it breeds that, you know, like honesty or whatever, you know, into the, into the negotiations because you're going to have to, you're going to have to deal with them again. You don't want to screw over the opposite side necessarily because that will 
affect further negotiations down the line, you know? And so these guys have other clients that the team, you know, potentially needs to resign down the line too. So there's that aspect of it as well. I think, you know, it, to me, yeah, like it's just, uh, it's just not something I would do, but I mean, you know, you can't, it's, it's impressive that he, that he feels that he can do this. And if he, if he can save himself, you know, those 3% and, and get around what he was going to get with an agent, then more power to him. But I just not feel comfortable doing that just because of the experience factor. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so terrible. I get fright would frighten me because I'm so terrible at negotiations. Like the, <laughs> like when we bought our car, like we bought a car, like the guy said, like rattle off the price. I'm like, Oh, okay. And he's like, I could probably go lower. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you mean... And then my wife took over. So I was like, all right, I brought the expert in. So, yeah. so I mean, to like negotiation's not easy. I mean, it is, no, it's I, more it's than a just... It's a skill. Yeah. And, I, and team's not going to be looking to give you the best rate they can either. No. Just and I was going to say, too, and see... For me, one of the things, you know, being older and being out of the league and having seen some things, one of the things I would worry about, too, is how blunt they're going to be with him in negotiations to the point where it's going to be very easy to get disrespected. Yeah. Whereas your agent has heard those things thousands of times. It's just going to roll off his back. But, you know, they're not – front offices aren't in the business of – puffing you up when it's time to pay you. Mm-mm. They're in the business of tearing you down and looking at all the reasons why they shouldn't give you all this money. And, and they're going to say that, and then how is he going to take that? And even if he ends up signing with them, now is that relationship going to be the same after you heard him say, yeah. well, I, I think kind of soft for you won't play with an injury, you yeah. know, or, or something to, to, to that effect. Or even some, something else that just, you know, doesn't rub you the right way. Yeah. So I more power to him, and and I actually hope it does work because obviously, if you can eliminate the middleman, that's more money for the players. But I just I would be very worried, man, that something would go wrong, and you wouldn't know about it going wrong until you sign the contract, and now you're stuck. Yeah. Well, and especially you know, like, and this not to just make it always all about. Okung, but you know his career's a classic example. I mean, he's a pretty good. Le- he can be a pretty good left tackle, but you know you can also envision a scenario where the Seahawks have to say, "It's like, well, why should we give you this much money? You can't even play a six game, sixteen game season for us." Yep, yeah. And they wouldn't say it like that. I promise you. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, and then what do you say back? You know, yeah. it's not like text messaging or something where you can just. Kind of avoid responding. You gotta respond to that now yeah. and try to find a way to be civil but firm, you know, standing your ground. So uh and hell, they, they might actually convince you that you're not worth it because yeah. you haven't played 16 games. Yeah, that's the kind of things that I would worry about, man. I, I want my agent to go in there and be the asshole so I don't have to be one. <laughs> Damn right. Yeah, that's that's how I would feel too. <sighs> All right, well, you know, the good news here is that we have training camps starting this week. Uh, the Steelers and the Bills, and I think the Browns, all have rookies reporting tomorrow. Or today. I think some today. Of them, yeah, someone reported today, yeah. Yeah. Oh, today. Crazy. Yeah. So yep. I, and I think your first full team practices are going to start happening on Saturday this week. So it's, um, it's here. I mean, you know, it's, it's as here as it gets. I guess until week one. But. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then like, and, and I can just see it. I'm predicting now that in two to three weeks or now, everybody will be uh, tired of the preseason. But, you know, that's how it goes. It's, yeah. yeah <laughs> but it's better than no football. So I wanted to ask you, since we're kind of gearing up for camp here, Stephen, I wanted to get your take on what's, it, what's camp like for a player? And what's it like to go back to camp and, and pick up the football again and start all this stuff again after, you know, a summer off? And, and what are you trying to accomplish at camp? I mean, it's, I mean, it's one thing just to say they're practicing to get ready for the season, but what does that entail? Right. It it it, it kind of depends on your stature on the team at the time. You know, either you're going to be a guy that's, that's trying to make the team, or a guy who's trying to be a starter, or a guy who's trying to keep his starting job, or a guy who's trying to be a superstar. And that's kind of the tiers of it. And so. Uh, that being the case, you have to have 
different kind of goals in mind. Of course, everybody's goal is to go out there and be, you know, all pro and, and lead the league and whatever it is they're supposed to lead the league in. But you also have to be, you know, realistic and understand that camp is about taking baby steps every single day. If you can, even if you don't have, you know, a huge leap forward during camp, if you can actually have uh, uh, a days where you pro- progress every single day where you get better at something every single day, then you'll have a decent camp. But it's so hard to do that. Now, these days it's a little bit easier because, quite honestly, they are nearly as physically taxing uh, on them during training camp thanks to the new CBA. But mm-hmm. back in the day, man, you know... You had to kind of um, worry about how your body was going to hold up. As a young player, you don't even really think about those things. You just kind of like, hey, I'm ready to go. Yeah. As an older player, you're like, okay, these are the precautions I need to make before I even ever get to camp, making sure that you're hydrated before you even check into your room, that kind of things, making sure that you're going to be able to um, – you know, do the cold tub and do the kind of maintenance things that you need to do during camp. I know for me, I used to always, you know, make a list just the bare essentials uh, uh, for checking in the training camp, but you had to have certain things in your room where you didn't have to walk anywhere to get it because you're living here in Tampa, you walk anywhere, you're drenched in sweat. Yeah. So, you know, everything needed to be in your room, uh, where you could get to it, um, whatever you needed. You know, to be able to, whether it's to relax or maybe to wake up, whatever it was, you need to make sure you had it ready before you went to to camp because you basically wouldn't have much time during camp. Mm -hmm. So it's a whole um, range of emotions uh, depending upon who you are and and what you are at that point with the team. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, I, I was literally on the bubble like my whole career. Like every time I went to training camp, I was a sixth round pick in Philly. Uh, so I was on the bubble then, and I got cut, and I came down here. And it's like every year, even when I thought I had done pretty good in the preseason, I would see my name listed as one of the guys on the bubble uh, uh, right before training camp. And yeah. so I always had to kind of be on edge. Like I couldn't ever let my guard down. And Do teams let what? players know when they're on, like, if they're on the bubble? I mean, if they're in that situation so they can kind of, you know, know what to do or know what the coaches let them know what they want to see from them on the field or in preseason games? No, because actually it's more advantageous to them to not tell anybody because mm-hmm. if you never tell anybody whether they're on the bubble or not, then guess what? Just about everybody thinks they're on the bubble except for maybe the superstars. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so now you get the best out of everybody. Everybody's kind of worried – like, that was the thing about being down here that first year with Coach Dungey. Like, I wasn't here for training camp. I was with Philly. When I came down here, every single week, somebody was getting cut. Literally. Every yeah. single week, you walk in, and some guy who was there before wasn't there anymore. And so it, get, it started getting in people's heads to look, you're not guaranteed a space here. And I'm talking about sometimes our starting fullback got cut in the middle of the season. So... Um, <clears throat> You know, you want guys on edge in the first place, and so it doesn't behoove any of the coaching staff to be like, ah, you know, you're you're good, or ah, you're on the bubble. They just kind of let everybody assume they're on the bubble and let it go from there. Yeah. What do, I mean? What do you you know? You watch training camps and you see the you see the training camp reports. You know, nowadays where everybody chronicles every damn snap from practice. You know, with Twitter <laughs> and everything like that, and you always hear about. Well, I mean, I can't tell you how many times the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl the last few years <laughs> during training camp because everybody was just out there kicking ass and taking names on the field, you know. But, like, where do you – I mean, and we had this discussion a little bit with OTAs and minicamp, but, like, with camp when the pads are on and they're hitting each other and maybe not at full speed because it's not a game, you don't want to injure your own teammate, but where do you – like, what? where do you look for signs of progress from a team in training camp like that? <clears throat> Well, I, I think, you know, each uh, unit is going to have its day, right? Mm-hmm. Normally the defense comes in and dominates because it's easier to install the whole defense than, than the offense. And then somewhere around the middle of training camp, the offense should take over. Mm-hmm. If that's not the case, then you better have, like, 
the, the 86 Bears defense or your offense is probably going to suck. Or if you start off and your, off and your defense can't stop your offense right off the bat and they never get any better, then your offense better be, you know, yeah. one of the high-powered offenses in NFL history or your defense is going to suck. What you really want is about the midways of training camp is a give and take every day. Mm-hmm. You know, some days it's the defense, some days it's the offense. Because the hard part of this thing is your your team is practicing against itself. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's hard to know, look, is my defense just as good or maybe my offense suck or vice versa until you get into those preseason games. And look, <laughs> preseason games just are what they are. It's hard to take a lot from them. Yeah. So if you're, if you're trying to take something away from practice, what you if, if you're a fan, what you really want to see is pretty much alternating days, like one day the, uh, uh, the defense dominates, the next day the offense dominates. If you're getting reports where one unit is just totally dominating the other one, for the majority of camp, your team is probably going to suck that year. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I like that. Yeah, that is interesting. Because that's always helpful. Because you you hear that. I mean, the, like I say, it's just the you, the training camp reports are so ever present now. I mean, and every day from now on out, it'll just be. I mean, your Twitter timeline, if you're mostly in the NFL world, is just going to be nothing but training camp reports, and they're all going to be super super positive. Yeah. Right. But it's interesting because, to know that. Right, because here's the thing, and, and I go to the Bucks training camp practices a couple times a year, usually. So here's the thing that, that you have to kind of differentiate, because we'll all see, for instance, Mike Evans get open on the pass deep. Mm-hmm. Now, the question becomes, did he actually beat his man? Is his man any good? Was the scheme any good? Because everybody's going to report on that same pass. Yeah. But if he got open because there was a bust in the defense or he was going against the fourth team guy. How much does that really matter? Yeah. You know, now if he's doing it and he goes against your first team corner and he's legitimately balling, and that's pretty much what Mike Evans did last year, then then that's a total another animal. So it's so hard to get anything from training camp because so many of the people watching are just fans. Like they don't really yeah. know what they're watching other than the big plays. Like, you, you'll see a guy get a sack. Well, did this man fall down? Nobody knows. They just know the guy got back there and got a sack. Yeah. And those kind of things you actually need to know if you're trying to take something, you know, a, a value away from all these reports. It's hard because, like you said, it's oversaturated now. Everybody's doing it. Yeah. But what you really want to know and, and try to ask, if you can, is, look, was this a busted coverage? Um, with the guy wide open, those kind of things to, to kind of measure, you know, it, are they really playing well or is this just like, you know, the defense is playing terrible or the offensive line that sucks today. And that's why all of a sudden one of these units or the other one looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. I remember the last couple, it seems like the last couple training camps for the Seahawks, the defense is dominated. And for me, that always kind of made sense because, like Steven said, they don't, it takes a lot longer to install the offense. Um, you know, you got guys, they, the Seahawks particularly like to mix up the groups, and so it's not always like the first team playing, you know, the first defense. And so, but, I mean, the Seahawks defense is so good and so deep that they pretty much always, it seems like they've always, they always kind of come out on top. They kind of win the day or whatever and look better. And so I remember last year people were kind of worried, you know, about Russell Wilson during training camp because, like, he wasn't looking awesome and, um, you know, the offense just wasn't doing that well. But then, like, when you get into games, like, obviously all those things work together and the run game is such a big part of it. And, like, you can't really practice run run game that well in training camp because, you know, like Steven has said, the, the defensive linemen and the offensive linemen are playing patty cake. You're not, like, you're not cut blocking at all, which is a big part of the Seahawks' offense. Um, you know, and you know, no one's tackling really like people are hitting a little bit, but it's, it's like hit. And then like that, that the play's over and it's, no one's wrapping up and taking anyone to the ground. So I think that's the other reason that <clears throat> the offense can't look as good because a big part of the offense for the Seahawks is the run game, breaking tackles, um, you know, cut blocking on the backside and it all kind of just fits together. And so the defense always kind of looks way stronger and, and people kind of do a little bit of hand wringing during the during training camp because of that. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. let's go to this question. I, Cause I don't want to go too drag on too much longer here, but 
interesting. Um, you know, we, everyone talks about the position battles and stuff like that around the league and training camp this year. So I'm just going to get what you guys are kind of looking out for the most or what you're most excited to kind of see play out in training camp this year for, you know, across the league. And I'll start with you, Danny. Go. Oh, man. Well, first of all, obviously, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. I think those are going to be, you know, those two guys are going to be one of the most interesting, you know, storylines to keep track of during the preseason. Um, And apart from that, I just, you know, I'm always a big fan of watching like what the main rookies do. And so, um, you know, the training camps for me are are more about watching depth players and kind of... um, you know, because you, you kind of know what you're getting from the starters from last year or the main guys from last year. And so mm-hmm. um, it's always fun to see, like, rookies, like, really stand out. Like, I remember a couple of years ago, like, during the preseason, like, Victor Cruz was, like, going off. And you never heard of this guy before. And so yeah. you know, he turned into a star. And so that was really fun. And so things like that, you know, where, you know, guys what either acclimate really fast and kind of, like, look like they're the real deal and um you know end up being really good or else it, it's gonna it takes a while for some guys to really kind of figure out what how the nfl game works and so mm-hmm. that's always to me it's always the rookie class like that's the most fun in terms of figuring out like who's gonna really be you know a, a, a key player in the first year yeah steven yep. what, are you, what are you looking forward to and seeing in training camp this year well there's two things um First of all, I kind of want to see um, the transition that 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 these three teams have up front on their defense, and that's Detroit, which we know they lost their top three defensive tackles. Miami, where one of well, two of them went, uh, C.J. Mosley and and Damacon Sue, and uh, Baltimore, where the Lions end up picking up Haloti uh, Nada. Uh, to kind of make up for the loss of Sue. And so those teams are kind of interrelated that way. And I want to see how that tra- uh, transition uh, ends up affecting each team. Uh, I'm already, uh, I've already kind of expressed some skepticism about just what kind of impact Sue's going to have on Miami's defense. Um, I'm not even sure. You know, I like Haloti Nata, but he, he's never really been a three technique, and he's on the downside of his career. Um, and, and you're going to have to have somebody that steps up in his place in Baltimore. Uh, yeah. I think that they have a, a couple guys that, that definitely can do that. Uh, but but it'll just be interesting to see how all three teams, how it works out for all three teams, uh, considering the offseason moves. Now, the second thing is kind of like Danny. You know, this is my second year of doing uh, the, the draft profiles for um, SB Nation. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, you know, now – get to see, for instance, Jadavian Clowney. I I really want to see how he bounces back from that knee injury. And and I I kind of said this on Twitter today. It's kind of funny to think back that here's a dude that probably played through a sports hernia his whole last season in South Carolina and maybe have even had uh, some issues with his knee going back then that he just now got taken care of uh, in the middle of last season. So at the very least, he'll be healed up from uh, the sports hernia, there's a chance that he'll be full speed by the time the first game rolls around. And I still am just excited to see what he can do with J.J. Watt lined up uh, opposite him. And, and then you got, you know, the rookies from this year. I'm really looking forward to watching uh, Vic Beasley, who I hope has uh, 14 great games this season and, and sucks against the Bucks twice. <laughs> but... But, you know, I, I put my reputation on the line for him. I said he's the best pass rusher, edge rusher in the, in, in the draft this year, mm-hmm. and, and I predicted he would hit double-digit sacks. So I'm, I'm, I'm really geeked up about seeing who's right and who wrong, who's wrong about some of these guys. I think we all kind of was on the Teddy Bridgewater bandwagon and, yeah. you know, couldn't wait last year to see how that would turn out. And so I'm kind of that way about Vic Beasley this way uh, this year. And guys like uh, Michael Bennett, who fell all the way to the sixth round this year, and a guy like Jalen Strong, who I thought should have went earlier. So I'm very excited to see some of these rookies and excited to see how the defensive line situation works out in Miami, Baltimore, and Detroit. 
I'm just excited for some football. I mean, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I'm just, I, I'm just, I'm relieved to see real football things happening. It's, it always seems like you're always ready for the off season when it gets here, and then it gets here, and about three weeks into, you're like, oh, the off season. When's it going to be over? And <laughs> sure enough, now our prayers have been answered, and the off season's almost over. So we're, uh, it, it's going to get real, real fast, and that's always <laughs> my favorite time of year. It's always fun to watch the enthusiasm of training camp kind of fade out, too. By the fourth week, it's like, God. <laughs> yeah, that, and then, like, all the optimism of, you know, you carry that optimism from August into September, and then by October, it's like, God damn it. Here we go again. <laughs> but maybe that, you know, I, I try not to let my own fan experience color too much, so, from my perspective here, but that's just... It's hard not to, man. But it's uh, but it's always fun. Everybody's a winner this time of year. There's all those you can take all those spring training cliches that all the baseball writers threw out in back in February, and now you can apply them to the NFL world and then uh, and, and go forward. But uh, but yeah, I'm really excited about it. And uh, you know, this time next week, we're gonna have uh some actual football things to talk about. <laughs> training so, camp reports. I know. Well, uh, we can put away our uh labor lawyer side gigs here for a while. Although I think probably pays pretty good to be a labor lawyer these days. I don't know. Billable hours. <laughs> well, gentlemen, it's been another fine podcast and uh, I hope uh, I, I, I'm really looking forward to next week and, and doing this again. Me too. Can't wait. All right, guys. We will, uh, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>